Welcome to Anecdotal Anatomy, the podcast that curiously explores the stories the body holds and tells through conversations, stories, and practices. Our mission is to connect the individual to the collective through our stories so we may better understand our interdependence and ultimately live a more peaceful coexistence. Is that too much to ask for? Each episode builds from the last and contains kernels of every conversation we've had to date. We cover sciencey things like fascia, anatomy, the nervous system, and other body-based science. We also have a pretty high tolerance for the woo factor, which, let's face it, it is also energy and should not be discarded as if it has no value. We are nature-loving, yoga and meditation teaching podcasters that could, aiming to make the world just a little better than we found it. Our motto is, leave no trash trace, we're only visiting but leave your heart print with every step. Hey. <laughs> this is episode 60. 60. 60. We are taking it outside again. If you happen to be listening in your car or someplace where you just need to use the sense of sound, hey, thanks for joining in. If you have an option to go over to our YouTube channel and also take a walk and a stroll with us at Five Mile Woods, hey, hit that pause button and head to a device where you can both see and hear this conversation. And we're gonna sort of do a palate cleanser from last week. Last week was a little more technical. We got into a lot of sort of science talk and other things. And today we're gonna just walk Five Mile Woods. There's a cleansing. There's a, a little bit of rain, a little bit of freezing rain. There was some snow earlier, um, which it's winter in the Northeast. It should be cold and snowy, but it kind of feels also like this palate cleanser that the weather is reflecting the spirit of the conversation that we wanna have today. And it's gonna be very casual. This is gonna be, you know, us being us just talking to each other getting to know each other better and for you to get to know us better and hopefully with your responses we'll get to know you better <laughs> so we're gonna just flip the camera around um, last time we did that on the canal it was so beautiful I watched it a few times just for the visuals and just to get into that meditative state of flow and it was really beautiful so hopefully we'll be able to replicate if not the same spirit then you know bring in some new energy and some winter wonder yeah so come. as we wander yeah <laughs> we'll wander we'll chat but rather than watching us if you happen to be on video um, I'm gonna flip this screen around so that you can see this beautiful environment that we're walking in. Hold on. Anytime we walk, it's like planning a, an episode here. We're gonna to come to a bunch of arrows and say, ooh, which way do we wanna go? And I have to tell you that I have to look down because Five Mile Woods is filled with a lot of routes and things to navigate. So while I'm holding this camera, I wanna watch. So. Here we go. We're going to go to the Sweet Gum Trail. I like it. I love it. Let's go. Oh, maybe we could even hold a little class here in the outdoor classroom. I love this classroom, especially like as we come to the classroom. Could you imagine having everybody sitting around this 
this beautiful multi-trunked tree. <laughs> like, look at that gorgeous tree. Oh I don't know if it grew Quadruplets. that way. Yeah, did it grow that way? Or is, were they just planted so close to each other that they all grew together? Oh, I wish I knew question. what kind it was. But I always find this tree beautiful and pause-worthy. Look at that. Mm, wow. Look at all those connections. That reminds me, looking at all those connections, of one of our missions. Connecting the individual to the collective. And there it is, right there, folks. <laughs> Four trunks in one tree. That's us. <laughs> uh, but it is. It's a little cold. Maybe you'll see some of the precipitation. You know, Teresa got my ass out of my house today. We were planning to do this. and. I felt all like just cozy in my cocoon and wanting to snuggle up and that would be my my go-to but Teresa said oh look it stopped raining let's go and I was like Ugh. and then I got my ass out of bed or not out of bed out of the house and I gotta say you know every time I go beyond what I think I want in that moment I shouldn't say every time but this time and times like this I never regret it you know it's my mother always said, it's seldom the things that you do that you regret. It's the things you don't do. So it may be a shitty experience. Maybe like, oh man, I, uh, why did I do that? But if I hadn't done it, I would have wondered what would have been. So that is where the regret lives. So, oh my gosh, and looking with all of this gray and there's this bright green moss. Is it moss? That is moss. <laughs> moss. Yes. Coming off of this rotting, fallen tree. You were talking about like the, the rewards of just stepping outside and these are some of them, the constant reminder that no matter what, whether the tree is standing tall and firmly rooted into the earth or whether it became a fallen tree, mm -hmm. its service to us is and to nature mm -hmm. is still there. This, this fallen tree that you've pointed out to us it did its job standing with shade and um, breath, you know, giving us back some of that oxygen in its exhale. But it's still feeding the moss. There's always a way to be in service. And to see the reflections in nature. So I'm, without moving from this spot right now, we've got this beautiful experience we've just dis discussed. And then these, you know, brambles all around that may be protective. They may be, you know, in whatever state of regeneration. And there's this tree over here that is kind of, I mean, there's, there's death, there's endings, there's, you know, that feeling of barren winter. And then as we come over to this tree that we've looked at before that has some of the green moss over here, I have this feeling of femininity. Like this, this tree screamed, I don't know, not fallen woman, <laughs> although maybe a little bit of that, but sensuality. Like I'm looking at the curves of the tree over here on the, on the left hand side where the beautiful green moss is climbing the tree. And the curves alone give me a sense of, of movement, of dance, of being in holding space, holding this, this particular space, and then following up the trunk and then over to the right where the limbs are crossing over this path, there's a, a stick, for lack of a better word. <laughs> I'm going to go right there, the stick right there if you're looking, that 
has fallen from somewhere and it's gotten entangled in the limbs above. So is it being held? Like there's stories we could, we could just, if, if you're ever having, you know, writer's block, just walk out into the nearest space where there's nature and nature will help you, give you prompts, get your story going, you know, inspire because we're not separate. This, I am that fucking tree. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what am I holding in my limbs? What is caught in, you know, the craziness of my hair? What is, what is it that I'm holding on to that just wants to fall away? I don't know. You talked about this tree, you know, reminding you of the feminine form. And I often see faces when I look at yeah. trees. So I'm gonna, I'm going to show everyone the face that I see. <laughs> and right there, I see two eyes made out of moss with a little crooked smile. I don't even know how to yeah. show it to you. Can you see that, Sharon? I can. In fact, I see a few faces. I see the two big eyes on the top and then the two nostrils right before a smile. But then I see the two nostrils could also be eyes with a smile underneath. And then if you move a little bit to one side or the other, I mean, it's like there are 10 faces in one. Yeah. And I always find it amazing because, <laughs> you know, are the trees looking back at us? What do they think? We're standing here taking these photographs without permission <laughs> of the trees in the forest, but do they really have an energy that they're possibly thinking? Like I always think when the birds walk in and I start singing, I know that that's a warning, like, hey, there's something coming into our space. Let me, re let me send out that call to all my other bird friends and let them know that somebody's entered the woods. Do the trees have that very same communication? Like, look at this beauty. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, you know, even in this, like you had mentioned earlier, Sherry, even in this kind of wet, damp, doesn't know if it wants to snow or ice or rain today, there's just so many little places where green right. is popping out in the midst of winter. The other thing, and we pointed this out once before, and we'll start to see it off in the distance, is that the whole landscape here is also has this one variety of trees. Look up in front of us, <laughs> yeah. you can see all of the like tan colored leaves that have changed, I believe. I believe they were green, but I'm not sure. But they haven't dropped. No. So they've been retained on the, on the branches of the trees and ever since I've been walking here that really fascinates me how many of them are within the woods. Yeah. So this is we we've, we've been talking about sadhana, daily practices, how we embody yoga as a lifestyle. And this is part of my sadhana coming out into nature. Sometimes I am lucky enough to have enough time to drive all the way over here into the woods and spend some time strolling. And hopefully we have enough time today to get all the way down to the creek. But other days, my walking is not in the woods. It's in the neighborhood. It's walking Siva over to a park. Uh, but walking is really important to me. Yeah. What'd you find there? I'm just looking at these standing, for lack of a better tr word, trunks. I mean, they're just, there's nothing up top. There are no limbs, there's no leaves. The bark is peeled off most of it. And I'd always learned that when the bark starts coming off 
of the tree that it's the beginning of death. I think that, isn't that how like the moist of the water goes up the roots through the bark or how, I'm not exactly sure how that works. But I'm looking at this particular color of green that caught my eye first because it's duller than the other bright mossy greens that we've passed. And, you know, just sort of trailing eyeballs upward and seeing some of the vines growing, you know, there's still some life on these lifeless trunks. And, you know, and then there's like a little man-made ribbon. There's someone must have had a balloon that, that flew away and that the ribbon is there. So there's this, again, we talk about, you know, civilization and nature and coexistence and, you know, how are we stewards of the land? I kind of have to go in and get that. Now, although these are really prickly, I'm looking, these all have thorns. I'm not going in there. I'm going to discern that maybe I don't have to pick up that ribbon because I don't want to get stuck with all these brambles. But the idea that everything is a reflection of our existence, that if our thoughts are projections and create our reality, look at this reality that we've created as we walk here, as we choose to honor the different cycles of being from creation. There's a lot of creation going on right now, interestingly enough, during a season of destruction, <laughs> of endings, of, you know, we, we've gone through our preservation and now we've kind of, we're here. But if you really look and you can see, even on the seemingly lifeless experiences, that there's still hope, there's still something vibing there. And, you know, I've been, we've been talking lately, that I've been called to a lot of, you know, books and movies and conversations that are a little bit out of this world that are sort of really dive into the idea that our reality is, is a construct from our thoughts. Um, but I choose in the real world to kind of to work to real world. What is the real world? The ultimate reality? I don't know. We can talk about that another time. But I choose to, to look at nature and all the people who come into my life because the people are not separate from nature. You know, nothing is separate from nature, but to see what is my experience reflected back to me? What are the things I get to work on? What I've noticed lately is that a lot of people are really either they're resistant or afraid or unable to examine the shadows in their lives because for some reason it may make them feel like they're less than or deficient or not good enough or whatever the limited belief is around the shadow. But I have found such liberation in working with the shadow. And I think part of that is because I can look to nature to reveal what those are. And I know that I'm not alone. I know that I'm not unique in my, in my flaws and the things that I get to work with. I also don't think I'm broken. I mean, I think that we can work with the things that are less than to make them more than. And I'm just off on a, on a tangent, but I think you get what I'm trying to say. Maybe not. Maybe it's another conversation. <laughs> no, um, being a part, like stepping into nature while you were talking, and I didn't want to interrupt you, but I did, was able to share with the viewers that I was watching that we had a visitor and it was a red cardinal. And there was another bird. I couldn't capture it quite so, so clearly, but I think it was the female and the male cardinal. We definitely, I definitely saw the male and brought us close in. Mm -hmm. Cardinals are supposed to be visitors, yeah. right? So, but they look like a, a couple, a pair, and we could see the red cardinal sitting off in the distance in the tree and its partner singing and just hopping from branch to branch. <laughs> <laughs> so whoever is here in the woods visiting with us, welcome, welcome. welcome. We're happy to have, uh, have you here. But look at how much more these, these retained leafed trees. I'm going to have to look. Oh, 
duh, sweet gum. We're on the sweet gum oh path. Of course, why would that, did it take me so long to figure that out? Sweet gum trees, which um, just really are such a little, little tiny places where light is entering into this basically monochromatic landscape. Just for a moment, listen. Listen to the sound of the, the icy rain and the birds. Birds are really active today. I wonder if they know that maybe we're going to get some snow or something and they're just preparing, <laughs> uh, preparing their meals in advance. Very yogic of them, yeah, right? <laughs> when I was pregnant with my firstborn, we had just moved into our house and right outside the sunroom in the back, a red cardinal was, had built a nest and was also getting ready to have a baby or to lay some eggs. And, and my husband told me, be very careful because we would watch. We started watching the nature of the birds when people, when they sensed that people were around or others were around. The male would fly in circles around the nest to protect the female. And my husband would say, you know, be very careful. The red birds and the blue birds, they can get really nasty. <laughs> you know, and I don't think nasty was a way to express the potential danger that could be because birds, I wouldn't fuck with the birds. But I think it was just, you know, it's the instinct of protection. It's the instinct to preserve one's existence. And that's another reflection that we get to look at. When do we act out in a violent way, you know, in the world? Is it because out of fear? Uh, it is, is it out of protection? Is it out of some sense of loss? I mean, I, I don't know, but if we look at nature, we can see, because nature is not all peace and love. Nature has a lot of violence in it. And so it just, what is that? And how can we learn from it? And how can we you know, see ourselves there without judging ourselves, but allow ourselves to grow through it. The way these exposed roots are all over the ground. I don't know if you can see on the video, Teresa's doing a great job of, as we walk, capturing the ground as well as the sky, the trees. Yes, yeah, stepping into nature is a reminder that we really aren't separate. We're another species that walks in here. The birds are pretty active knowing that uh, there's something a little bit different, mm -hmm. you know, where they're dancing about. And so as we step in with the cardinals, the bluebirds, watching all of the different beings that we find in nature, I think uh, he really kind of captured the idea of doing it with respect for boundaries, respect for being able to observe without uh, changing, without interfering but just to be in awe of that couple that you were watching, preparing for. I find it fascinating when you started talking that they were preparing for birth at the same time as you were, and you were able to see the differences in the ways that that would happen. You said that your husband mentioned, you know, the, the male going around and round. I wonder if he was going round and <laughs> round. <laughs> when people were like yeah. coming around his pregnant right. wife, right? The, that idea of being protective, or maybe not even protective, but just caring for. Uh -huh. Just being present and caring for, I think, is a lot of fun to look at the comparison between two beings ready to give birth and how they're similar and different. Uh -huh. Oh, we've just stepped onto the T, the T bridge. 
which means I don't have to navigate those routes <laughs> quite in the same way. But if you were able to pause and have a look at them as Sherry pointed them out, it's a reminder that all of these trees have a communications network that goes from their offspring. So lake trees uh, use their root systems to nourish and nurture and communicate and they are smart enough to know which of the other trees are their offspring, their same variety of tree. So, and there is my very limited knowledge of the <laughs> life about trees. <laughs> yeah. Almost looks like a, just a, a sapling. They are small, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, in comparison to the size of the rest of the trees that are out here, and the thin, these feel the little. thin trunk yeah. that looks just like a little branch. But mm. just this nice. And see how like it's wet on the right side but dry on the left side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, With let's very little coverage, there. you know, it's yeah. just so. There we go. And the snow is beginning to the the uh, flakes are getting a little bigger. Okay, nobody told us it was going to snow today in the weather. <laughs> I had no warning about the, uh, the snow coming. And but I, I have zero <laughs> confidence in you know, the prediction of weather anymore. <laughs> so we're going to come over here for this moss. I really want to look at this because I always find it fascinating. I'm going to come down. How many different types of moss there are right here? So this one has, I don't know, for me, it kind of reminds me of an evergreen tree. I don't really know why, but it surely does. But as I come around to the base of this tree, the moss is just a different variety. And I like the way it has uh, the different colors of green all commingling at the roots of the trees. I hope as we're walking, now I'm going to try and get up without having nicely anybody. Nicely done, oh. sister, nicly done. I always like when I'm out in, the, in walking to also look for all the little fairy holes. So uh -huh. I hope we'll see some of those <laughs> at the base of the trees. Yeah, I forget the name of the book, but it's an Elizabeth Gilbert book. And you know, we're in Pennsylvania outside of Philadelphia and it takes place at the turn of some century in mm -hmm. Philly and there's moss involved and it's it's sexy and it's smart and it's historic and I loved it so much. I can't remember the name, which makes me wonder if I read it on my Kindle because I often forget the names of books when I read them electronically. And I haven't done that in a long time, but I read this book when it first came out. But if you haven't, you know, Google Elizabeth Gilbert and Moss and see what comes up because it's a great, great book. It kind of feels like a really amazing gift for you and I to be out walking here today because there was a time in my life, kind of like what you said this morning, oh, I was all bundled up and <laughs> happy to be in my cocoon. And there was a time that I'd be like, oh, it's raining out. I can't go out. Mm. Oh, look at that. Snow cold. <laughs> I don't have to do anything. But look at, I'm just going yeah. to, to kind of pan through the space that Sherry and I are walking in. We have this entire space 100% to ourselves as far as humans go. Of course, there's other beings that are out here, but look at just how vast and open this space is. So I always feel so happy when I get to come in and just yeah. clear my brain, clear my thoughts. Yeah. 
But while we're stopped, since we stopped Ooh. anyway, look at this, look at this. It's like someone fried an egg and it fell from the sky. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> look oh, at the, this, this one. This must be, I have a friend who goes out foraging a lot and she comes back with something she called chicken of the forest. And it, I mean, this is all wet, so I don't know if this is what it, what it is, but she has shown pictures of like, she'll peel it off the trees and then cook it up for dinner. And I'm like, as a vegan, I'm thinking that sounds fucking awesome. That sounds but delicious. But I, I need help. I don't know how to do that by myself. <laughs> I'm hoping that sometime I get to the place where I learn more about foraging and uh -huh. I would feel safe pulling up a mushroom <laughs> right, right. and bringing it home. I have another uh, a client that I know and he talks about something called lobster mushrooms mm. and finds them at a specific time of the year I believe up in the Catskills somewhere, uh -huh. but he will forage for them, cook them up, and he says because of their color and texture, they remind him of lobster. Ooh. But he's a vegetarian. Well, that's great. Like, so. I miss lobster. I love, look, I'm not a vegan because I don't love a good cheeseburger. I do. In fact, my mouth is watering now, but that sounds really, really good. Yeah. I think if I was going to go vegan, it wouldn't be the cheeseburger that I would miss. What would it be? It would probably be more the cheese than the burger. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure that there are plenty of really great options. There's some. Uh, vegan cheeses are hit or miss. Miyoko's does a nice job. Kite Hill does a nice job. Violo does an okay job on some of their stuff. I shouldn't say it. I mean, some, some of the cheeses are, I can't do, but some are really, really good. Yeah. Oh. Oh man, you wow. know, you were talking about the trees made like what their smarts are. And I'm always fascinated by the, you know, when we anthropomorphize our pets or we assign a certain human characteristic to, you know, a flora or fauna, trees or animals. Because I do believe that there is an intelligence in, in all natural things. I think there's just an innate intelligence, but it's kind of like a look at that little sapling that is green showing in the middle of frickin' winter. Oh my gosh. But the same thing like as we talk a little bit about practice and sadhana, like when I imagine you walking here, I feel the practice, I feel the sadhana, I feel the connection. But imagine someone else walking through and you know they're on their lunch break and they just have 20 minutes to walk a certain amount of time or space that you know, it may give them the good feeling that they're doing something nice for their bodies or whatever. It feels a little less like practice than it does about like exercise or just getting out there and t not that one is better or worse than the other because I don't believe that. But I think that when we frame things in certain ways to kind of honor, you know, what that is. And so in terms of intelligence and smarts, I think that there is this natural intelligence. And because we are made of the same stuff, you know, the thing that does kind of separate us a little bit is this idea of consciousness, is this idea that, you know, we have to guess what the trees experience are to a certain degree, unless you're a botanist or somehow, you know, you, you understand at a deeper level than just an everyday person like myself. Um, but we can explain ourselves, we can express our, you know, maybe it's also just learning the language of the trees you know, so that we can understand what they're trying to tell us the same way that we can understand behaviors in our pets. And like you said, walking in, you hear the birds, you know that that's a call of something's going on. That, you know, if we gave ourselves the opportunity to understand each other as humans, if we got to understand our pets, our animals, the wild animals, the trees, like we might 
that feeling of oneness might come a little bit more regularly with a little bit more ease. And that, I mean, I don't know. Wonder I think I end everything with, I don't know. <laughs> ah. Well, there's so much to ponder, isn't there? Like, so many different options of ways to advance a conversation. And we have this little tiny, tiny stream that's coming through. But as you were talking, I think what I, what I was taking out of your words was one of our missions that is to connect the individual to the collective. And when I come out with these slow walks and really notice and take lessons from uh, the woods around me, like going back to when I started, being in service, whether you're standing tall and rooted in today, rooted in your daily activities, rooted in your own personal miss missions, or whether we are in a part of our life where maybe we've fallen, we're, we're taking that time to rest. Uh, maybe we were stressed and need to lay down in the woods and just breathe and take a break. But when I think of working with the individual and the collective, I think this is such a beautiful example. Like, look at this forest and just how many trees there are. The longevity of the forest, the longevity of these trees, is that they are able to hold each other up, be co-supportive, allow their root systems to intertwine, feed those that are ill or need additional resources. So the reason that this forest exists is because there are so many trees in it. And their lifespan is much longer, to my understanding, much longer than it would be, say, if we took just one of these plants and one of these trees and put them in the landscaping at our home. The tree would be beautiful and we would love it and it would be in service of nature and our, the beauty of our landscape. But it may not have the same longevity when it is not in community. And this is the example that I see of connecting the individual to the collective and how for me, nature is such an amazing example of how that happens naturally, right? <laughs> and it's something we all share because we're all made of it. And so we also we talk a lot about stories and how it's our stories that connect us, that we, if we tell our stories enough and we can get them out there and see that we're much more similar than we are different. And the things that we want, our missions, you know, it's easier said than done. And yes, there's gonna be conflict, but why would we wanna live in a world that didn't challenge us to grow? And sometimes we need, you know, the, so, the ground to freeze or to burn the forest down for new growth so that we can, you know, regenerate and you know, have a fresh, a fresh experience. A fre yes. Well, this, this one's coming down. <laughs> yeah, look at this. Wow. Right? How resilient is this tree? It's, it's root going right under our wow. walkway all the way across to the <laughs> other side and oh, it just keeps way. flowing all the way down yet it's leaning on its side with its exposed roots and moss and lichen and moss and, lichen. and sweet gum yes 
Uh, <laughs> it's got everything. This tree's got everything. What a lesson of mm -hmm. resilience that we can lean over and maybe not always feel as rooted and grounded as we want, but yet mm -hmm. still be able to be a part of that community. And I imagine that those roots that were wandering around under the earth are receiving from all of the other family members of that same species. Nutrients. So I want to go back to resilience and this little guy here. Now I'm looking at a tree that once was, clearly it broke down, there's some growth on the outside and if you're looking at it, it's just kind of, you know, a sad looking stumpy kind of thing. <laughs> if I could, something like that. But its resilience cannot be understated. Just because the other tree was still in its tree glory with all of its, you know, roots and branches and things, you know, coming back and circling around, this guy is still standing. Yeah. You know, we, we revere that book, The Giving Tree. And I always had an issue with it and I didn't understand why until I got older. Because people are assholes. Like the little boy just took and took and took and took and took. And when that poor fucking tree was a stump, she still said, just sit down. Like, this is what I have to give. So in, in you know, talking about what you talk about, Teresa, about the trees being in service, they're always in service without judgment, without any kind of, you know, need for payback or anything. But we are the ones that need to to find our resilience, to look at that stump and to say, oh, even when I have nothing obvious to give, what do I have left to give? Um, oh. There's always something. Oh, I like that. What do I still have left to offer and give? So trees don't work from a deficit mentality, from a poverty mentality, it seems, if they have a mentality at all. Again, <laughs> coming back to anthropomorphizing and seeing the wisdom in the intelligence that exists outside of our own consciousness. Now, as I walk here, I, I was reflecting this morning, knowing that we were going to take this walk and wondering when did walking become part of my sadhana? Mm. And I had to kind of, you know, re rewind my memory, rewind my tape, look back into my past and think, when did this become something that really fulfilled and nourished me in the way that it does? So there's a couple of different things that I can say as an answer to that. And that would be <laughs> this tree over here yeah. is like Nataraj. Yes. And finding, so, you know, I've always had a, I've always had dogs and I've almost always had a fenced in yard. And, you know, I'll admit, I didn't take them for very many walks. I just opened the door and let them run around That's the backyard. Me. But when I moved into my motor home and I no longer had a fenced in backyard or even just traveling, I guess it began when I was traveling. Sometimes I started walking Siva, my dog. And that was just like, oh, Siva has to take a potty. So let's go out for a walk. But as I did it more and more, and I'm going to say that the time that it really became part of my private practice was when I was in South Carolina. And yes, it was in COVID, but that isn't the reason why it became, <laughs> became um, so important to me at that time. It was because I just started to really become amazed with the landscape. There were some times when I was down there that they were just a little bit stressful. And I began to notice 
that when I left and went out for a walk with Siva, I came back feeling a lot more calm and at ease. And I was able to walk through the woods. It was such an interesting place, Huntington Beach State Park. Oh, 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 and she's down, ladies and oh, gentlemen. No, 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 That's no, okay. no. That's okay. I'm down, but I'm good. I'm not out. I'm not forgotten. What the fuck was that? Oh, yeah, it's very uneven right there. So some of the things about nature. Thing. You okay? No, yeah, right? yeah. No, no, no. I felt myself going down and I was good. But oh my goodness. But maybe there was moss or something there. That... Yeah, when these boards are wet, sometimes I oh definitely walk off to the side. All right, we're good, people. We're good. We're good. Oh, my goodness. You know you're not in nature until somebody takes a little tumble. Now it's a party. Still... Now it's a party. Yeah, sure no, you're okay? I feel, I feel, yeah, I okay. feel good. It was left hip. Oh my, I was looking at this pond or the stream. Yeah. Oh my gosh, look at the reflections in that stream. Even on the cloudiest oh of days, while it's raining and snowing, oh we gosh, still have these beautiful the reflections, right? Yeah. Look at that. Oh. Anywho. And so we go. And so we go. And so we go. And uh, so as I was walking, I could go through the woods and wind up on a beach that was almost empty. Mm. And I began to notice just how much peace and calm and uh, I found from this practice of walking. Look at this. This is something all also that fascinates me. Sorry for the just no. like, okay, next channel. Hit that, hit that channel surfing from yeah, last time. You guys time. come on to YouTube. If you're not there yet, this is so fucking gorgeous. Oh my gosh, this is just the roots of a tree. It's like a piece of artwork. Could you imagine sculpture, a sculpture yeah. uh, artist being able to recreate the root systems? Oh my so gosh. always, always, always. And not only recreate the root systems, let's come back over here. Look at all these roots crossing our path. So, you know, I don't know. Sherry, what do you think is the, <laughs> the safest? Navigating uh, listen, the roots I or mean, the slippery boards? Uh, oh my I think goodness. the roots are definitely safer. <laughs> yes. <sighs> but see the fallen tree that we were just looking at the roots that now oh my gosh. has its home in the creek bed. I didn't even see that connection. I only saw the little sculpture. So we started there. Oh my gosh. And then as we continue to walk, we've got the, another crack and it goes all the way to the opposite bank. And so we have, we've talked about this. We have just this little bit of a dam, but it hasn't really stopped the water from flowing. The water is really skilled at navigating around whatever obstacle nature has, well, naturally dropped into its pathway. But you can see here, it's moving on the left side, yes. but it's almost completely still on the right, except for where the rain is falling. Yeah. That there's no movement there. Mm -hmm. But that's not to say that, I mean, water has that ability to, like you said, navigate the obstacles. It's just, it's, it's amorphous. Like it just has that, that's what it's made from. Like that's its thing. I'm glad I fell back there and not here where I could have <laughs> fallen actually into the creek. I'm gonna get close to the ground, keep gravity <laughs> on my side. <laughs> I was hoping that we would have enough time to really get all the way to the creek and we may or we may not we're getting closer well we are at the uh, this little stream i'm less but, inclined to drop the sit spot yes we will not <laughs> sit. i think walking is the way to go but look at how gorgeous we only need the 
the tiniest bit of light. So let me ask you, you talked about how walking became part of your sadhana. When did, I know, and you talked about your first yoga class being at a community college, but when do you remember this? Because I know you also come from a Catholic family, mm-hmm. and that was probably, I'm going to guess, important in your upbringing. When did another path reveal itself as a possible place to walk? And I'll use walking as the metaphor as well as the, the literal. I don't have a when, but maybe more a how or why. I believe personally that so many of our religions slash philosophies have the same tenets of, you know, I mean, if I wanted to distill it down into one thing, it's don't be an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) But we basically, you know, in living in community, living as individuals who want to be kind and respectful to the collective, to each other. I think we have the same rules. We have the same tenets, the same principles that that I was able to incorporate other lineages to the one that I grew up with, Mm -hmm. right? When we talked about the yamas and the niyamas, and I really... Uh, and I, maybe I could, as being Catholic, not that they are the same because yoga is not a religion, but in reading through the principles that are in there, they're not so unlike the Ten Commandments, right? They're not so different to be honest and compassionate, to have respect for our family, our friends, our parents. I don't know. I just think that I began to realize that philosophies, religions, and the way I wanted to live my life had so many similarities that it didn't matter what I called it. Do you have a moment where you remember it being introduced to you as as a possibility? Or was it just sort of, did it? I think it just naturally evolved. I don't think it was introduced as a possibility of one or the other. No, I don't mean in a binary way, but in the way that it came into your field of understanding, of awareness, <sighs> that it exists as a possible path to, to take. Yeah, I do remember that. And it probably started in my teacher training when we were asked to study the philosophy mm-hmm. and the history of yoga. But what got you to the teacher training? Like that's, Oh, that's a good question. And what got you, this is the whole the sort of re, you know, reverse engineering the, the path to where we are today. Yeah, what got me to that teacher training? I, the only answer I can give to that is my heart said it was the right thing to do. It was, I was practicing at the Prancing Peacock, which is where I did my teacher training. I was enjoying it. I was learning an awful lot about myself through the practice of being in group classes. And when the teacher training came up, um, I asked myself, is this something you want to do? I mean, somewhere in the back of my mind, I've always wanted to be a yoga teacher. I can so say- So that's interesting. Somewhere in the back of your mind, you always wanted to be a yoga teacher. But when did yoga come into your field of consciousness that that became a desire? And you don't have to have an answer. I'm just really curious because, just because. I think it was, um, you know, I can, if I'm going to sit here and really think, Uh I wanted to be a yoga teacher way back when I was in high school. And I don't know why. I honestly don't know why. I just know that I did, that it was in my thoughts. But 
you know, I also wanted to be an artist. I wanted to go to art school. And so I think I just um, lent, I just wound up in this place where the arts were really fascinating to me. And to be perfectly honest, maybe I thought they were easier <laughs> as a high school student. Maybe I was like, oh, I wouldn't have to study so much, which is not at all true. Yes. If I decided to be an art you know, an artist and a yoga teacher and that, that, you know, the conception of my brain saying, oh, well, that would be easier than me reading, writing and arithmetic. That is not so. But it's harder to get an actual job. Yes. <laughs> but it wasn't something that was even, you know, my parents really did believe in the education of math and science. And then at some point in time, if, if you want to do something else, uh, that would be okay, mm -hmm. but you have to get the fundamentals down yeah. first. So I think it was in my thoughts, but also way back then, you know, yogis were the weird people, right? The, I didn't, I don't uh, know that I even knew yoga back then. Uh, I re, I'm looking at old journals and I'm finding that my meditation practice started way longer than I remember it starting. Uh -huh. When I worked at Wetlands, which was a rock and roll nightclub in New York City, one of the bouncers, Bernard, who I, I miss and I love, I don't know where he is in the world. If you're listening, Bernard or someone know, let me know. But he started talking about this weird thing, not weird, but he called it sitting. It was just you sat and you were quiet. And I knew nothing else about it except that it was called sitting. And I was so mesmerized by that thought of just sitting and in some of my journals I'm like today I sat for a little while today I did this and I don't really have memory like I don't remember working at Cafe Borgia in New York City but I did once I read that in my journals it's like oh yeah that awful day when I worked at Cafe Borgia um, but even when I started practicing formally in 1999 in New York City I never ever thought about being a yoga teacher I never wanted to be even when I moved out here and I started practicing at the Prancing Peacock. I loved my practice. I actually <laughs> sent a proposal to Melanie Smith, who owned Yogaphoria, and Liz Connor at the Prancing Peacock about a, an immersion program that did not require teaching at the end. Mm. It was exactly their teacher training program that does not require that you teach at the end. <laughs> like I had all of this, you know, I was conflating all of these ideas about how to study, what that looked like and what was happening at the end of it. That Melanie actually laughed. She's like, honey, this is my immersion program, like right here. But I still never, th I just never wanted to teach. And then when I was going all the time and Liz just said, have you considered taking the teacher training? And honestly, I had never considered it. But I, and I was convinced she was talking to someone else because like I've said before, I don't do a lot of the big poses, never have. and at this point probably never will and that's not what my yoga is about but I remember saying to my husband I was like Brian I, I just I want to take it to deepen my understanding and practice and he said honey just if you're gonna you know make this investment of time and money into this training teach one class yeah. just teach one class it's like you saying just get up today let's go out into the, the the nature I taught one class and that turned into two turned into three and it turned into a career it turned into I mean so many different detours along the way but that was never a part of my plan. It was never something I, I never saw myself as a teacher, but I found an authentic voice. I found myself on the mat in front of the class. And then I found myself even more when I got off the mat in front of the class and walked around the class. And then I found myself even more when I left the class altogether. And so that's where I am now. But that's not to say I won't return at some point. It's, it's nothing. It's that experience of becoming a yoga teacher when it was never in my field of consciousness is one of my teachers. It's one of the lessons that say, don't be rigid in what you think you want. Like, just be open and show up. 
show up to the things that you love and things will happen things will open up and that's what happened with this is that it just it opened up for me and and that's why we're here today <laughs> and you may be wondering why i paused to listen to sherry's story and it's because there's just such an amazing natural threshold here that this tree has offered and whoever was kind enough to clear the path so we didn't have to step over it <laughs> so i wanted to pause for a moment to just talk about our threshold practices you know, that we have so many thresholds in our life. This one is so obvious to see. The tree is just cut and we have to walk between the two. And I take threshold as a time to pause, maybe set an intention, or maybe as the metaphor that, okay, I'm going to leave the past behind me and I'm willing to step into this present moment. But the threshold is not only something that is so obvious, that we are going to specifically walk through its center. Maybe it's the threshold of a new breath, the threshold of a new place in the forest for us to let our gaze rest, the threshold of walking into your kitchen for a meal. There's so many different times that we are invited to slow down, be calm, and set an intention. And for me, that's when I cross thresholds, or when I notice that I'm crossing a threshold. Now, I haven't crossed the threshold yet, and you don't have to put the camera on me, but I just, when we move from mindfulness meditation, which is focusing on the breath, that's the, the object of the meditation, and we move into walking meditation, we shift our focus to our feet, to the feeling of the ground. And so I'm looking at this threshold, and right before the actual opening between the tree trunks, it's very smooth. There's leaves, and there's a matted down, muddy, very flat surface. Uh, and then right between the trees, there's a whole root community that is exposed. And so if I'm walking meditatively through this threshold across, I'm feeling that smooth, maybe slippery, I might fall again, who knows, but that feeling beneath the ground has a different kind of stability to it, a different kind of grounding, that I can jump here and load my bones and feel okay about it. As my focus moves forward and I'm crossing over less stable ground that requires a little bit more focus and attention, that's what I get to experience as I walk through and then notice when the terrain changes again. And so, and even right here, this <laughs> looks like a piece of celery. <laughs> and put some peanut butter in there. But it's only to say that all of our senses get to be awakened and enlivened by this idea of threshold. And if we can take the feeling of that or the awareness, that consciousness of the ground beneath our feet, there are infinite numbers of thresholds that we cross at any given moment. And as Teresa suggested, they're not always this obvious. And yes, the breath is a threshold into the next breath, into the next breath. But we also, with every step, we have opportunity. With every step is potentially a threshold. And so if we expand our vision of threshold practice from actual thresholds, which is really important and beautiful to experience and to bring into the world of our mindfulness practices, if we can expand it to include everything, everything being a threshold, then we have an opportunity to practice our mindfulness in ways that we may not have entertained before. We also don't have to do it all the time. Even with the ultimate, you know, infinite numbers of thresholds, that doesn't mean that you have to be alert to them all the time. 
otherwise you might freaking fall down. <laughs> you know, talk about lying down in the forest, like you might just, you know, do that. But, but this feeling of every step with meaning also brings to image the Sisyphus myth, where he's pushing that big boulder up the mountain for eternity. And he has a choice, you know, life can either be meaningless and the same task every day doing the same menial bullshit, or he could create meaning with every step. And he had that at what he called, what I guess, I don't know if it was Camus, but the hour of consciousness, where he realized that he had the ability to create meaning with every step. And to me, that's what expanded threshold practice is, creating meaning with every step. Talk about faces. There is a whole community of faces in that, this in that trunk. Yeah, the other great thing um, that screaming. you brought to mind while you were talking <laughs> with all of these roots and the mindfulness of noticing what's beneath your feet is just how great walking across all of these roots massages the soles of my feet, going from these matted down leaves to allowing my foot to feel the contours of the roots and all of the amazing pressure points on the soles of my feet. We are getting close to kind of coming to the end of this stroll that we're taking together. And this might be the perfect time to talk about our next offering. Yes. So our next offering, although at this very moment we are walking through the woods and outside in nature, our next offering is going to be virtual. We're going to step inside for a little bit and be able to expand the people that we are going to bring into that collective. We'll expand the people that we can see and speak to one-on-one and, on one and serve on one, in one-on-one one one oh. by bringing our offerings to a virtual format. We're really looking forward to expanding our Keystone members by inviting you to join us. You are invited to come hang out with us and our Keystone members on February 26th. This is Sunday from 11 to 12.30. And what we're doing is we've created a series and we're gonna be offering them with regularity uh, called Discover Your Excellence. And that name was, and this is the next offering is Discover Your Excellence, the power of personal practice. And the reason why it's called this, and this is just an interesting thing, a play with words. So, you know, could have been a master class but I have a reaction to the word master. <laughs> I love the word masterful and I love mastery. I love the feelings that they evoke, but there's a troubled history with the word master. And I couldn't in good conscience allow myself and I, you know, Teresa also to, to call it a master class. And so we started thinking, what is mastery? What is that? And Teresa brought in the word excellence. And so this idea, oh, look, there's even ice over on the stream that excellence, and it's not that we are the guides who are going to show you where your excellence lives, because that's your story and that's what you, oh, that's not ice, that looks like foam. It's foam, yeah. It's an opportunity to be in an environment where the practices and teachings are about uncovering. They're about identifying where we hold our excellence. Oh my gosh, I'm looking over there at those roots, the tree right across from me, I'm pointing right to it, right at the bank, the, the, oh, yes. the roots, right, oh my gosh. So 
this series is about you and it's about re it's about empowering not overpowering and i think that when we are able to to own our superpowers when we're able to identify where we really excel then you know we're we don't give our power away we get to go to a teacher who knows more than us and have something to say have something to offer have something of value that you know, sometimes we, we pack away or we tamp down because, oh, I, I can't be right or I, I can't know that much or I can't feel that. Well, yes, you can. <laughs> yes, you fucking can. And uh, that's also, again, part of our mission to, to uncover, to excavate, to be, to be our best versions of ourselves as we go and to not judge ourselves when we're not the best versions of ourselves. Because yeah. guess what, folks? We're all human. <laughs> we get to accept ourselves in our best and not so best moments. I won't even say worse. I'm just going to say there's lots of space in between the time that we excel and show up as the best version of ourselves, and the times that maybe we do not. And that is where I find the power of my own personal practice. When I've noticed that I haven't shown up as my best possible self, Maybe that's the day that I remind myself, hey, Teresa, the woods are waiting. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, uh, to end this, I have been so busy lately that I have not been here to these woods on this walk for close to 16 days. I've done other things and walked close, but I haven't been out to just experience the, the solitude and the quiet and the openness and the expansive space that I find here both in the outside environment in Five Mile Woods, but also how it is then reflected back inside myself where I can find expansiveness and space and calm and peace. So as far as my personal practice and uh, how walking relates to it, I can say honestly for the past few days, the woods have been calling me. Like, Teresa, you haven't been here lately. Come on, it's a beautiful day. So um, thank you for joining us on our walk. And anything else that you want to add in here before we sign off? No, I think sure. you've said it all. All right. So there we go. We are <laughs> at another set of signs. And I find this one really interesting as a way to conclude our time. We are at the space of the crossing trail. The time for us to cross a threshold, to make an intentional commitment to self-care and self-practice. And if it calls to you and you hear the call to join us, watch because those registration information will be coming into your inbox really soon. Until next time. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening, for rating, reviewing, and subscribing to our channels and all our other stuff. Thank you for inspiring us to have these conversations and to create contemplative live experiences that move our bodies, hearts, and minds to the rhythm of our highest selves. Thank you for showing up. Feel free to send us your stories, questions, and comments to anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com.
As always, we thank our amazing editor, Judith George, Keith Kenny for our fun music, and Cindy Fatsis for our photos. Journey with us as we continue down the roads of discovery, taking the detours and meeting the mysteries. You are our why. See you next time.